We're doing a series on happiness. Next week we'll conclude it. But we're looking at the number one most important thing that you have to get if you're going to be happy. And it is not your circumstances. It's not how much money you have. It's not who your best friend is. It's not how your marriage is going. It's not how your kids are doing. We've been deceived into believing that when I, then I. When I graduate from high school, I'll be happy. When I get into the right college, I'll be happy. When I graduate from the college, then I'll be happy. When I get a job, then I'll be happy. When I get a different job, then I'll be happy. When I buy a house, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. When my kids graduate from high school, then I'll be happy. When my kids graduate and move out of my house, then I'll be happy. When I finally retire, I'll be happy. When I finally buy that house in Maui, I'll be happy. That one actually might be true. (laughs) Super close. When I get cured from this, whatever it is, then I'll be happy, right? So there's this constant mirage that as you chase it down, you can never get it. And it actually leads to a lot of misery. It doesn't work. We know that. So there has to be a way, a lifestyle that in the middle of unmet desires, in the middle of dealing with broken people, those that surround you and your own life, and in the middle of difficult circumstances, there has to be a way in the middle of all that to still be happy. Because if there isn't, then very little of our lives will be lived in happiness. So there has to be a way. So last week, I said there is a way. And what determines your happiness, the number one thing is the one and a half pounds of gray matter between your ears. It's right up here. And we looked as believers, you and I have been brought into something. We're not natural anymore. We're actually spiritual. And we have a new capacity that's been given to us by God. That the Christian life, it's not magic. It is supernatural, but it's not enchanted. That there is just godly, wise wisdom in scripture that says, here's how you walk this thing out. In the midst of broken in the midst of unmet desires, in the midst of hard circumstances. Here's how you walk this out, right? So that was last week. This week, we're gonna talk about how to actually live wisely, how to retrain the brain. But I wanna begin by saying this. When you get saved, here's what the Bible says. When you believe in Jesus, receiving his grace by faith, here's what happens to you. The moment you believe, you are number one, given, the Bible says, a new heart. And when the Bible talks about heart, it's really talking about your wanter, what you truly want. So when God's love finally breaks through, captures you, his love begins to change what you want. I'll try to illustrate it like this. So I went to Oregon State University. My final two years, 
I lived in a, I don't know if it was 800 or 1,000 square feet. It was a small townhouse, six roommates. Awesome. Just awesome. If you have a son or daughter that will not graduate from high school, or excuse me, from college, put them in with six roommates. They'll become Einsteins and they will graduate. Like I want out of this, all right? So I'm in there with six roommates and there was one roommate in particular who would do this, right? He would point at something like my shoes and be like, hey, whose shoes are these? Even though he fully knew whose shoes they were, right? And I'd look at him and say, bro, stop being passive aggressive. I'll put them on when I leave. Don't worry about them, right? So that was how we dealt with roommates. There were some sparks, no doubt. I probably caused a lot of them. All right, so I get married. And I brought with me some of my habits of living with six guys and roommates, right? So my wife, we're doing the marriage thing. I can remember one time I left my shoes in the wrong spot. And she pointed, even though there's two of us, whose shoes are these? (laughs) I did not say to her, hey, woman, quit being passive aggressive. You know what I did? I picked them up and I put them away. Say law. Right? What happened? Her love changed my wants. I wanted her to be happy. I wanted a home that was filled with joy and with peace, right? So my core desires have changed, right? That happens to you the moment you believe that you're given this new wanter and your deepest desires become godly desires. That's what happens, okay? So there are people that will say this to me, Matt, Christianity is so restrictive, right? You can't do all these things. Here's the answer I give them. I'm gonna be really graphic with it. This is what I tell them. I say, listen, I do all the drugs I want to do. I get drunk as often as I want to. I sleep with whoever I want to. Do you understand that? I don't wanna do drugs now. I don't wanna get drunk now. There's only one woman I wanna be with. I do whatever I most deeply want to do because the core of my heart has been transformed. That happens when you believe. Secondly, the Bible says, and we talked about this a lot last week, new spirit, brand new spirit. You have a new desire and you also have the drive, the energizing of God's spirit. That was last week and it's brilliant. Okay, Matt, I am a believer, new heart, new spirit, but man, I've been a moron. What's wrong with me? I'm making mistakes. I'm getting involved in stuff. It's destroying my happiness. It's causing me pain. What's the deal with me? What's wrong with me? Okay, well, listen to these verses. These are really important verses. First one, Romans 8, 23. And here's what it says. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have, past tense, the first fruits of the Spirit. That's last week. You've been given the gift of the Spirit when you believe, not natural anymore, spiritual people. 
We groan inwardly. Why are we groaning? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Ugh. And we wait eagerly. There's still something out there. For the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah, new heart, new wanter, new spirit, new energy. But the problem is it's trapped in this body. And this body has these habits that cause us to go, oh, why am I doing that? So what do we do? Romans 12, verse two, this is how we ended last week. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your one and a half pounds of gray matter in between your ears. That by testing, I said last week, you gotta fact check your brain according to scripture. That by testing, you're testing your mind. Is it in line with scripture? You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We gotta have renewed minds. We gotta start thinking like Jesus thinks, because we've been given his mind. And we know this about Jesus, Hebrews 1.9 tells us, that he was anointed with oil of gladness above anyone else. He was the happiest man on the planet. Why? Because of the way he thought. His mind, these things, he had a renewed mind. His mind was born well. Our minds are born broken, okay? So that's the thing. We have to figure out how to do that right now. How do we renew our minds. How do we retrain them? Well, we looked at pitfalls. There are ways and habits that if you get into will destroy your happiness. Goldilocks syndrome, trying to make life perfect, just right. Right? Having a cow, marinating and ruminating on old stuff. Missing tile syndrome, where all you can see is what's gone, not how good things actually are. Inflexibility, comparison, when you climb your ladder, don't look around. It's up to you. You're doing this before Jesus, and that's what matters, all right? So negative habits will destroy your happiness, but just as importantly, when we engage in positive, godly habits, man, they start to build into you and to me a rhythm of life that's brilliant and incredible. And I'll tell you, the hardest thing for me on this was to figure out which text should I talk about that actually instructs us how to retrain our brain? Because they're all over the place. So for your homework, I want you to read two passages. Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Brilliant. It begins by saying, stop thinking like this. Wrathful, angry, malicious, bitter, unforgiving. Instead, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That each one of us has been given the opportunity to put on a super suit. And it's Jesus Christ. And instead, start thinking like this. Compassionate, loving, kind, graceful, merciful. Sing songs. Be thankful. Do everything before Jesus and be thankful again. Brilliant passage. Retrain your brain. Or Ephesians 4, 17 through all the way to the end of chapter five. It's just retrain your brain. Same exact thing. Put off this, put on this. You, you stole before, stop stealing and give. 
right? You thought bitter, wrathful, angry, stop thinking that way, think lovely, kind, compassionate, right? Same thing. But the passage I wanna talk about is Philippians chapter four. So we're gonna work through this, and the same way I work through this, you can work through Colossians or Ephesians, right? This is a brilliant passage. Philippians is called the epistle of joy. If you struggle with joy, start studying the book of Philippians. So here's how it begins. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Number one, retraining your brain. Remember the rad, not the bad. Rad is an old word. It's my kid word, right? I'm bringing it back. Remember the rad, not the bad. Paul went to Philippi. You can read about his journey there in Acts chapter 16. Here's what happened to him. He's preaching the gospel. This demon-possessed slave girl follows him around for days, screaming at the top of her lungs at him. Finally, after days of this, he can't take it anymore. He turns around, casts the demon out of the girl. She's set free, but her slave-owning masters are mad because they made money off of her craziness. They wanted her strung out, didn't want her set free. And so they get mad at Paul and Silas and they get him cast into prison. But the jailer doesn't just put him in prison. Here's what he does. He beats the snot out of him, puts them in stocks. And we're not talking Wall Street. We're talking these things that would stretch your legs beyond how they should stretch. And then you're clamped down like that. And then put them in the lowest part of the prison. So prisons back then were actually underneath a house. They were in a pit. What do you think would go to the bottom of the prison? Yeah, all of the sewage from the other prisoners. So that's where they were set. It was just brutal to Paul and Silas. But how does Paul remember Philippi? Prison, beating, garbage, junk, sitting in sewage? No, what does he say? Oh, I love you guys. You are my joy and my crown. Hey, they were my companions. They worked side by side with me. Hey, their names are in the Lamb's book of life, right? Paul made a choice about what he was gonna remember when he thought back on Philippi. I'm remembering the rad, not the bad. We all have that choice and it is huge. Here's my best example of this. In that same house, six of us, uh, one of the roommates had moved out and that's how I moved in. So I moved in, five roommates had been there the year before, I moved in with them. One of them, Paul Londigan, becomes my best friend in college. Awesome dude, always smiling, always laughing. When I think of Paul in my head, he has a smile because that's what he did, he just smiled. So one day we are in the living room and we're all eating like our top ramen, we're sitting there because you couldn't sit down, it was too small. So we're all just standing eating our top ramen when they begin to talk about the roommate that I had replaced, he had moved out. 
And they said this to Paul. They said, remember when he called you a stupid redneck from Brookings or from Bandon, excuse me, right? Guys, you know what that means? You ever been in a room where somebody's name comes up negatively? What does that mean guys get to do at that point? Bash him. We are gonna tear this dude apart. We are gonna absolutely crush him to each other. And then of course we'll pray for him, but bash him first. So it was open season. He could do what he want. Here's what Paul did. He looked at us and he said, I choose not to remember him that way. And he walked out of the room. I just went, oh, dude, I love you. I can trust you. That's the way to be right there. I'm gonna remember the rad, not the bad. A choice that you and I can make. It's what Paul did. My Paul and this Paul. Number one. Number two. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. The word rejoice in the Greek is imperative. Do you know what imperative means? It's a fancy way of saying command. This is a command. Hey, Christians, I'm commanding you twice. Rejoice. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known. Some of us need to circle that word. Be reasonable. Are you kidding? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word rejoice is the Greek word kairete. So I just took from Lawanita, it is this, a gold standard for Greek to English lexicon. This is the first translation, translation they have of kairete, meaning it's the most important one. What does rejoice mean? To enjoy a state of happiness. Now, I don't know how you don't enjoy a state of happiness. Like, bro, what is wrong with you? I'm happy. I'm just not enjoying it right now, right? But it's just getting across the idea, like, rejoice isn't some spiritual thing. Rejoice is simple. Hey, enjoy the happiness God has given to you. And the Bible says, it's a command. Oh, Matt, I can't rejoice. I just can't do that. All right, I'm going to say something, and then I will try to prove it to you. You are as happy as you want to be, period. You are as happy as you want to be. Now, we looked last week, no doubt. Genetically, your brain, about 50% of it, determines some people win the cerebral lottery and they're just naturally happy people and some people lose it. So about half of your happiness is determined genetically. No doubt about it. And your brain totally affects behavior, right? Your brain can make you sad and you act sad. Your brain can make you depressed and you act depressed. And your brain can make you upset and you act upset, right? No doubt about it. But here's what's as true as that. Your behavior actually affects your brain. How you and I behave begins to affect the way that our brain works. It rewrites your brain. So there's this new field that's called epigenetics. Epi just means over. So there, you have your DNA, your 46 chromosomes, but there's this MC called epigenetics 
that sits over your genes and actually turns them on and turns them off. It says, hey, you play your tune now, or hey, you shut up and you play your tune. That's your epigenetics. And epigenetics are completely turned on or turned off by how we live, okay? So I'm gonna show you, just try to give you this really quick, how the way, just action, just what we're doing affects how we feel, okay? So look at these pictures. That's my favorite. <laughs> Love that one. Smile even if you don't have a dentist or a shirt. Doesn't matter, man. Just smiling. What did you have to do when you saw those pictures? Smile. How do you feel right now? Isn't that amazing? That's the power of the brain. That when you smile, your brain turns on the happy factory. It's been proven. The, the very muscles in your face cause your brain to say, oh, I'm happy right now. I'm going to turn off the sad stuff and I'm gonna turn on the happy factory right now. There are a few things that are contagious in life. The coronavirus appears to be very contagious. <laughs> Yawning is contagious unless you're a psychopath. <laughs> That's true. And smiling is contagious. It spreads. It's what your eyes sees begin to affect your brain and that's what happens and you turn them on. So listen to me very carefully, okay? When you have a child and that child is super upset and he's forcing himself to frown, and he's all furrowed brow, what do you try to do to that child? Get them to smile. If they smile, what happens to them? They're all of a sudden happy. Right? You change them if you can just get them to smile because that's the power of the body over the brain. That's what happens. So here's the thing. It is much easier to act yourself into happiness than to think yourself into happiness. It is much easier to act yourself into happiness than to think yourself into happiness. So try this sometime. If you're upset at something, if it, whatever's happening, just force yourself to smile. Just be like. <laughs> Do it alone, because it's really weird. <laughs> See what happens to your brain. There is a power in the body over the brain, just like the brain has a power over the body. That's how connected we are, okay? So you can Google this. There's been ton, tons and tons of studies on this. I'll give you two. Number one. It's called Mobius syndrome. Mobius syndrome is a very rare thing where the people that have it, the facial muscles to smile don't move. They're unable to smile. And when they've interviewed people with Mobius syndrome, here's what they found. They don't experience happiness. That the fact that you can't smile has such a profound impact on the brain that they're like, they don't even know what it feels like to be happy. That's the power of the body over the brain. Here's the second one. They took 10 people, it's a recent study, severely depressed people, people that had tried therapy, drugs, you name it, across the board. Nothing was working with them. They were depressed, severely depressed. One of them for 17 years. And here's all they did with them. It's a controversial study. They did this. They took Botox, which is a muscle relaxant. And they put the Botox into the part of the face that make you frown. So it was impossible for them to frown. 
It relaxed those muscles. Here's what they found. Two months later, nine out of the 10 were 100% cured of their depression. The 10th was much improved. That is the power that you have. It's why the Bible commands this. This is ancient wisdom from God saying, actually, you can. You have a choice. You have a choice right now to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. You have the power. It's been given to you by God. Remember the rat? Rejoice. Verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Sounds like a good song. Don't worry. Be happy. I'll spare you. I won't sing it. A biblical worry list has nothing on it. Zero. Who here has a biblical worry list? Yeah, the six-month-old infant raised her hand. (laughs) Not me. Pretty happy. Why is that? Christians get an A plus in worry. We worry about our jobs, money, marriage, kids, our biological clock. Man, that thing's ticking. Come on, I need to have kids. What are you waiting for, boys? Politics, society. We worry about the weather. Is it going to snow? I thought it was supposed to snow. Why isn't it snowing? So I see snow here right now. Right? We worry about our in-laws, outlaws. Is the world going to end in 2020? We worry about church. Where am I going to park? Where am I going to sit? Will they make me move? I like this seat. I don't want to move. Will it be funny? Will it be short? We worry. The Bible says, don't worry. Don't worry. Here's what worry is. Worry is a tug of war in our brain. You're playing tug of war with yourself. It's really silly, right? It's like, come on. I have a saying to people, drop the rope. Drop the rope. What we are when we worry, we're like the kid on the airplane, the little kid who thinks he's flying the airplane. And if he stops flying the airplane, it's going to crash. Like, oh, it's all up to me. i got to fly this airplane, right? And you're all miserable and mixed up when you can just relax and say, actually, there's a pilot. I'm going to trust the pilot. I'm going to relax on my seat. Quit playing tug of war. It doesn't help. Jesus, in Matthew 6, says the exact same thing. Don't worry. And this is his illustration. He goes, listen, your dad's the pilot. Your heavenly father's got this thing. Look at the flowers. Have you ever seen a worried flower? Like, will it rain? It's getting a little dry out here. I don't know if it's going to rain. It's dark. Is the sun going to come up? I don't know if the sun's going to come up. I'm worried. I'm getting old and wilting. I need to reproduce. Where are the pollinators? Get them over here. I feel like a forget-me-not. Come on. No. Right? Right. It's insane, I think. So here's what they found when people write out their worry. Only 8% of it is legitimate. The other 92% is outside your control, is never going to happen, or is just untrue. Only 8%. Drop the rope. Trust the pilot. Trust Jesus. And it goes on to say, pray. Listen, if you can worry... 
you're gonna be one of the best prayers in the world. The Bible says, cast all of your cares, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, cast them all on Jesus. He's the burden bearer. He's the pilot. Cast them on him. This week, try this one discipline. Every time a worried thought comes into your brain, don't entertain it. Don't worry it all out. Don't play tug of war with yourself. Don't try to pilot the plane. Stop and say, no, I'm praying about that. Worried about my kids, I'm gonna pray about them. Worried about my marriage, I'm gonna pray about it. Worried about my job, I'm gonna pray about it. Worried about my retirement, I'm gonna pray about it. Worried about my health, I'm gonna pray about it. That's what you just start doing. Hey. (laughs) Drop the rope. Let Jesus be the pilot. Let him bear those burdens. Okay? So then, verse six, end of it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving. Next week, we'll talk about that. That's the final one where we just give the practical steps. Thanks. But here's where Paul gets absolutely brilliant. It's verse eight. This is an underliner, a highlighter, a circler, a memorizer. It's one of the most impacting verses in the Bible. Listen to this. Finally. Last thing, guys. Finally. He goes on for another 15 verses, though. (laughs) Finally. He's a good preacher. Finally, brothers. Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think, think about these things. That is retraining your brain. It is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So we're gonna go through this really quick. True. Our brain should be being fact-checked by Scripture all the time. Is this true? Not by the world, not by our own emotions. What does God's Word say about this? Is it true? So I'll give you a a real-world example of how I use this. I deal with people that are addicted to drugs. And they have believed in Jesus, been given a new heart, given a new spirit, but they're still trapped and a body that's corrupt, and a brain that needs renewed. And they have great godly desires, and they want to get off drugs, and they're trying, and they're sweating, and they're doing it well, and then all of a sudden they will fail. You know anyone like that? No anyone. It's me, Matt. What do I do? They'll come and they'll talk to me. And this is what I do with them. I just ask them questions. I say, okay, you failed. What are your desires? What do you still want? I still want to get clean. I still want to be used by Jesus. I still want to be part of his kingdom. I said, okay, great. Your desires have not changed one bit. So what does that mean now? Are you going to quit? No, because your godly desires are still there. That's what's true. And Proverbs says this, Proverbs 24, 15. The righteous will fall down seven times, but he'll get back up. You get back up. 
you confess your sin. You get forgiveness from Jesus. You have brand new mercies this morning. And Philippians 4.13 says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's the truth. That's what I tell people. That's true. Set your mind on those things. True. True. Honorable. What do we honor today? Really, who are our heroes? Who our heroes are, it's really the people that we give honor to. Who are the heroes 2020 in America? Probably rock stars and celebrities, right? They're the ones that we give honor to. We listen to them. We, you know, they're the top of the list. I think it's sad. I think we need to reclaim some of the heroes of the faith that have gone before us. The Jim Elliots, who gave his life to see the Harani Indians know about Jesus Christ. The Moses Hall, who stood up to murderous Jamaican slave owners and protected his people from murder. The pastor John Harper, who gives up his life jacket on the Titanic because he knows his eternal destiny, but someone else did not. And he said, you need this more than me. Those are heroes. The John Wesleys, the David Brainers, the Jonathan Edwards, brilliant people. Here in our own church, people that are caring for widows, building homes for people taking care of kids and safe family and foster care. Those are heroes. Those are honorable people. And here's why it's so important. You become what you honor. Whatever we say is our hero, whatever it is we keep the top of our society, that is where our society heads. I want us to honor honorable people. Heroes. Put our minds on what heroes have done. Is it honorable? How about are your thoughts just, which means right, and pure? Is your thought life pure? If you read the news, which I do, they just invented a computer that can read your thoughts and then print them out on a screen. Who would like to volunteer to do it this morning? Come on up. Right? That would be the worst thing in the world. Are your thoughts just and pure? How does that happen? Well, let me give you this illustration. Has anyone here been to the Merlin Dump? It's been renamed. It's called the Josephine County Transfer Station. I just think that's ridiculous. It's the Merlin Dump, man. That's a good name. I'm going to the dump. I'm going to the transfer station. What? What? What is that, right? No, dump, right? So, is the Merlin dump pure? Why isn't it pure? Because all the city's garbage is dumped in there. That's why it's not pure. Listen, if your mind is open to all the city, all of our society's garbage, you will not have pure thinking. You won't. You need to shut the gate. Say, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not letting that garbage truck in my mind because what we start letting, whatever garbage truck you let dump its stuff in you, that's, what, that's the material of the mind that it sits on and thinks about and regurgitates. And shut the gate. Quit letting that stuff in your brain. 
If it's not just and it's not pure, it's not getting in my mind. I'm not letting it in there. And if you're saying, man, Matt, my mind is the Merlin dump. What do I do? You're doing it right now. This is retraining the brain. This is allowing scripture to purify us, to wash us, and to cleanse us. And the more you're in scripture, the more your appetite actually changes for what you want to let into your mind. You're doing it right now. Is it just and pure? Is it lovely? Commendable. The word commendable means, does it have a good report? I think the best example of this is in Numbers 13. The people are finally getting, getting to go into the promised land. Something that God said, it's a good land full of milk, flowing with milk and honey. Brilliant land. So they send in these 12 spies. They come back. 10 of the spies brought back, it says in the Bible, a bad report. They didn't see the good land. They saw the giants and they saw the problems and they saw the obstacles. And they brought back an evil report. And this is how they begin to think about themselves. Check out this verse. It's Numbers 13.33. This is what the 10 say with a bad report. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed in our brains to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. They shriveled. They just saw the giant problems and the issues and they shriveled, just little bugs, you're gone. But there was two that they didn't see the giants and they didn't see the problems, they didn't see the obstacles. They saw the fruit and the promises of God. And they said, no way, God's on our side. Are you kidding? Let's go. Do we think about things with a good report? Do we look at the city of Grants Pass and say, oh, look at all the problems and all the junk and all the garbage? Or do we look at our city and say, that is a beautiful city that the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to transform. What do we do? And can anyone in here name one of the 10 spies that had an evil report? If you can, please don't, because it ruins it. (laughs) Who can name one of the two spies that brought back a good report? Joshua and Caleb, right? We name our kids after them to this day because we say, that is commendable. That's commendable. Live your life looking at the promises of God and his power, not the obstacles and the giants. Commendable. Excellent. Praiseworthy. Do we live lives that are praiseworthy? Are we praising people when they're worthy? I think there's two kinds of ways to live your life. Big picture. You can be the kind of person that tells people, the way it is, I'm just gonna tell you the way it is. Or you become the kind of person that tells them the way it can be. Listen, this is the potential. This is what it can be for you. I think Jesus did this all the time. What you see in the Bible is God changing people's names. Simon, which means shifty and sandy and no foundation. Simon's name is changed to Peter which means Rocky, eye of the tiger, go get him, buddy. What? Potential. Abram, his name has changed to Abraham, which means father of many before he had any kids. It was the potential. Jacob, which means heel snatcher and deceiver, not a good name, changed to Israel, which means prevailer, literally winner. I love that. 
Do we do that? Do we think about people that way in their potential or in their problems? And I hope we call that. You know how powerful this is? I'll give you an illustration. This is my own life. So about two and a half years ago, Phil Comer came here. One of my heroes in the faith, love him. He did intentional parenting, and then he taught on a Sunday. So I got to hang out with him a bit, have lunch with him, talk with him. And this is what he shared with me. He said, I've been hearing this about you, Matt. The report is, you're the best dad and best husband at Edgewater. Now that immediately told me, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in for it. Goodness, I am being set up right here. Because here's what I know. I know I am at best an average dad. That still makes me better than half of you. (laughs) That's what average means. (laughs) I'm average, right? Here's what that did to me though. For two and a half years now, that has rang in my head. And it causes me to do this. What would a good dad do here? What would a good husband do here? And I think it's edged me up maybe a little bit above average. Just that simple statement. Just saying, hey, you're praiseworthy. It's amazing. The power of that. I have a saying that's this. People are like goldfish. They grow to the size of their tank. And we should be telling people, it's the Pacific. Bro, you're in the Pacific. God has great plans for you. You, eye has not seen, ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has in store for those that love him. Go for it. It's the Pacific. It's praiseworthy. Brilliant. So I made up a acronym for this little text. And here's the acronym. <laughs> the Jeppelsep. It's pronounced the Jeppelsep. So you can hashtag the Jeppelsep. <laughs> you gotta the Jeppelsep your thoughts, bro. Who are you and what are you talking about? I'm dead serious. This is brilliant. Not the, the Jeppel step. <laughs> the Bible is brilliant here. The Jeppel step it. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. The Jeppel step. And then he ends, verse 9. What you have learned, Philippians chapter 4, and received, Philippians chapter 4, and heard, Philippians chapter 4, and seen in me how I live my life. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You will not get a better deal than this. There is no better deal than this right here. If we are people that are practicing these things, here's what you get. The God of peace will be with you. Even better, look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, your emotions, and your mind, your thinking, in Christ Jesus. Anybody in here want to guard over your emotions and over your thinking? Anyone? And I do. Would anyone want that guard to be the very peace of God. Oh, you don't get a better offer than this. You will not get a better offer than this. You have the very God of peace saying, Matt, Edgewater, practice these things. And my peace will guard your emotional health and your thinking. Nothing is better than that. 
So Jesus today, we want to think like you. And so we come to your table, beggars who tell each other where to find bread, and it's here. Because we need your transformation. We need your strength. We need the gospel to be pressed into us in such a way that we see the world through your eyes, with your mind, with your strength. And we cannot do it on our own. So we come hungry. We come needy. We come to the one who has all the power in heaven and in earth. We come to the one who can take dead things and breathe life into them. We come to you and pray that you would transform and renew our minds so that they think like yours. We ask this in your name.